Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Join one of the Adelaide 36ers favourite sons as we deep dive into everything past and present about one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. It's Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Welcome to another episode here of Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. We're in the middle of the NBL offseason, but as you would have noticed, there's plenty still to talk about, so that's why we're back here for another episode. We got some good feedback in our show last week, Scott, with a really good chat with Connor Henry, the new head coach of the Adelaide 36ers, and now we've gone back to the, the best of the best, and we've got Brett Maher with us this week, and we're going to go for a deep dive into picking our best ever Adelaide 36ers first and second team. So who better to sit down with than Scott Ninnis and Brett Maher to, to have that discussion with, so it's going to be a fascinating show. But first of all, Scott, Thanks for joining me again, and we've survived another week. Another week of this coronavirus. Uh, I'll survive, mate. We've got no other choice, really, do we? <laughs> so um, yes, uh, any excuse to get out of the house at the moment. So uh, I've come round to see Brett. Uh, we thought we'd do something. Uh, yeah, it should be a bit of fun and, and name our uh, first and second team uh, all-time thirty-sixes. No doubt we'll make some. Uh, Enemies, <laughs> probably some <laughs> friends out of out of uh, some of these selections, but uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, sitting down and choosing them with a great man alongside of me. Hey, Brett, thanks for joining us once again. Um, before we get into talking about our our all time teams, um, how are you holding up in in this time? Obviously. Working as a firefighter, it's probably been a bit different for you, but you've decided to break your hearts a little bit as well and go out on your own in the in the podcasting world with with a pretty famous Ad- Adelaide crew. Yeah, um, as far as the COVID goes, it's been um, not smooth sailing for me, but uh, as an essential service, uh, we're still getting out there and fighting fires and dealing with uh, anything that goes on that we would normally deal with. So it hasn't affected us too much other than uh, we've kind of disbanded some of the trucks from the main centre city and mm-hmm. uh, I've been going out and based at a different station, which has been quite good as a change. And, yeah, I'm still really loving that. And then, yeah, Andrew McLeod uh, approached me a little while ago and asked if I wanted to uh, join him. He's clearly very bored in the uh, COVID situation. He's not <laughs> been able to do any of his programs with uh, the Crows and that and just yeah. uh, wanted my take on a few different things, so uh, I've just snuck around to his house a couple of times, put together a little one. Very good. Um, now, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to Scott and I's chat with Connor Henry last week, but in terms of his appointment as the new head coach of the 36ers, are you happy with that appointment, and do you think he's the he's the right man to take the club forward? Yeah, I do. I actually listened to the podcast and am an avid regular listener. <laughs> but, no, he speaks very well, doesn't he? Yeah. And, uh, he says all the right things. Well, it'll be the proof will be in the pudding when he gets out here. But, yeah, I was really impressed. I, I didn't even have him on the radar, really, oh. as, as an option. So for him to pop up and be chosen, I think um, there was some really good signs. And it, it's been a really good uh, couple of weeks for the 36ers. I think if you look at the end of last year, how badly it was looking for them to turn it around and sign a, a really uh, good coach and then to get DJ to sign up for uh, three years, mm. plus obviously the addition of uh, young Josh Giddy in the off-season as well. It's looking like they're turning it around really quickly. Absolutely. That was the big, that was the other big news I wanted to ask you both about this week. Daniel Johnson, massive for him to not only commit to come back, but to actually re-sign on his, on his contract and, and guarantee that he's here for the next three years. I think that pretty much means that he's a Adelaide 36er for life now, and, and I'm sure he's somebody that we'll discuss later on once we get to our all-time teams as well. Um, I think it would have been a huge kick in the guts, and it might have been something the team couldn't have recovered from this coming season if he decided to opt out of his contract, like I guess we've seen Bryce Cotton and Nick Kaye and Casper Ware do elsewhere, but how big was it for DJ to recommit to the club? Oh, I think it's uh, it's fantastic. Like you said, there's a lot of players opting out, and, and once again, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good tick for the club um, to be able to get that done. Um, it, it's just fantastic news. And yeah, Daniel Johnson's elite. You know, you're talking about the guy who's been the leading scorer and rebounder for the last 10 years in the NBL. Mm. You know, he's, he's a you know, six foot 11, uh, you know, unbelievable shooter. You know, he has his detractors, um, you know, some of his perhaps defensive. Uh, limitations and uh, but you know to to get that signature and know that he's going to be there to be able to you know be the cornerstone of the team for the next three years is uh oh, i think is a, is a massive coup and uh you know all the people at the club should be congratulating on it 
And I think for the organisation as well as a whole, they needed these good news stories yep. to be able to sell tickets for next year and to be able to get some of these big signings. It gives the the fans some confidence in the organisation and in the team, and uh, I think it's going to really help in all of those areas. Now, Scott, before we do head into our this, our topic for, for this week, we've had some feedback on social media. A couple of people got in touch and, and have wanted to wanted to make a couple of comments to to you and also ask you a couple of questions. One of our, our big supporters has been has been Remedial Effects Massage. Not sure if you've ever come across Jeff from, from, from that account, but he's got a couple of things he wanted to fire your, your way after listening to our chat with, with Connor Henry last week. First yeah. of all, which three Aussie free agents would you be recommending to Connor Henry for additions to this roster? I guess it's a question both you guys can answer. I know that it's probably a little bit tough um, without, without prior notice. That is it, yeah. It's nothing like putting us on the spot there, uh, Chris. Um, oh, what's three ages? I guess you need to – it's really probably going to depend, and we asked a question to Connor last year, last week about what they're going to do from an import point of view. At, uh, I, I certainly, from the outside looking in, I hope they go with an American point guard. Um, and then with the roster well, spot – Well, just on that, Jerome Randall technically is still under contract. Does that contract have to be – torn off for both parties, given not only did it not work with him last year, but he's now also got his ACL injury. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago they were talking about bringing him back and, and you know, giving him a job in the office or, you know, mm. like he was definitely going to come back. Obviously, um, you you wouldn't think he'd be ready for the start of the season. I, you know, purely from my point of view, I, I, I think we've been down this road. We probably need to get in a different direction. But once again, if you don't know what the contract is, it mm. consists of. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I, I think it's probably, especially with the way things finished up last year, I think, you know, there needs to be significant change. And, and when you've already got, you know, a lot of people were already locked in. You know, now you talk about, you know, DJ, Obi Shea, uh, Daniel Dillon, Brendan Tease, uh, Josh Giddy, um, etc. You don't have a lot of room to move. So I'd, I'd like to see, you know, different imports yeah. uh, come into this team. So I guess when you talk about Aussie free agents, it's, it's a little bit difficult to answer because you, you, you know, really, what, what is the need for? You know, I'd mean, love to get a big guy with some defensive grit to be that sort of foil for, for DJ in that front line. Uh, they don't grow on trees. Um, we'd love you to uh, send Nick Kay over our way. That would be, uh, we'd, uh, we could certainly find, uh, he'd, he'd look good in blue, I reckon. But, uh, <laughs> but obviously, the, you know, that those sort of uh, people aren't going to happen. And, but, you know, you got these guys coming back from Europe, well, potentially, the, you know, the Brock modems of this world, yeah. some of these sort of guys. I, once again, you've mentioned everyone's going to be in the market for those sort of players. Is it going to be a, a, a season where it's going to be difficult to attract people like, like a Brock modem or even an Angus Brand to come back to the NBL given the financial situation? I guess you see these guys leaving because of the, the cut in money. Um, is it going to be tough to attract some of those those bigger names, and and maybe you're going to have to even go for budget imports for for twelve months? Do you do you see that being the case? Yeah, I do. I well, that's why the guys are leaving here. They're clearly yeah. getting some pretty decent offers from Europe, and initially I, I didn't see how that was going to work. But obviously they've got big TV deals over there that yeah. they're able to sustain their league without having crowds attend, etc. Because of that, whereas here we just can't sustain it without having crowds. So. Uh, they probably had to take a 30 40% cut if they had to stay, whereas they could probably go over there and make more money. So, yeah, I can't see any of those guys coming back like your Brokoff or your Moton. But, yeah, I, I think that as well with the imports, we might be looking at some lower-class budget imports mm. just for this 12 months um, or trying to sign guys on back-ended contracts yep. where um, they've got a soft start and finish strong. Now, Jeff had a second question for you, Scott. Um, yep. I'm not sure I answered the first one to be honest. But no, but we, we, we don't have a we don't have a free agency list in front of us until July one either, so it's a little bit a little bit tricky. So the free agency period has been pushed pushed back. Would Connor Henry be lucky enough to be able to entice you to be his assistant coach? <laughs> oh, I think I think those days have passed, mate. It's, uh, it's been it's been over ten years since I've uh, since I've been been involved in coaching. Um, uh, you know, I've got my own business now, and uh, oh, I'm not sure I want to, would want to go back down that road. Oh, look, you, you know, there's always you know a love for the game, and and you certainly look at it 
you, you, once you've been involved in coaching, you, you certainly look at it, you know, through through those eyes. Um, oh, look, I think the situation would have to be, uh, it would have to work out well for both uh, both parties, but certainly nothing that I'm, uh, it's on my radar at the moment, that's for sure. I imagine five years ago it was a firm no. Do you, do you st- <laughs> are you starting to get the itch to get back involved again? Uh, look, I think there's always a little bit of an itch there, especially with the way that it's, uh, you know, Finished, which yeah. which obviously wasn't you know wasn't great. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say I've got an itch to scratch. Um, you know, I love the game. You know, I love the thirty sixes. It's uh, it was twenty years of my life in, in one form or another. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, I, I, I don't I don't think that the uh, the club's probably uh, probably looking at that uh, that in any sense. Uh, and neither am I. What are your thoughts on Nini the coach, Brett? <laughs> um, yeah, as he, as he said, I think. He's kind of moved on a little bit from it and, mm. and trying to build his own business. And um, it brings, especially with Scott now, the young family as well, there's a lot of extra considerations, I guess, that he would have to put into place of assistant coaches don't really stop. They come yeah. home, they yeah. continue to watch video and tape. And it's a, it's a very much a full-time, 18 hours a day job, sure. pretty much, So, which is hard with a young family. And so it would make it a very hard decision but he's clearly got the knowledge he's got a good South Australian background and I think that's important as well and uh, yeah as a quality coach and would be able to provide Connor with some great insights etc but you really have to be wanting to do it for the probably the amount of pay that you'd be getting uh, as compared to the hours that they'd want out of you. Yeah for sure. Now one more one more for you Scott and then we will move on. Um, Chad Ryan has got in touch. I don't know if that name rings a bell to you at all and but he's got in touch with us on Twitter. Hey Scott, I just came across this Twitter account. My first ever job was sweeping the floors at your card shop on Jetty Road when I was maybe 11 years old. Thanks for that. I think you paid me in packs of Fleer and Upper Deck cards. Does that <laughs> ring a bell? Mate, Rob Rose is my business partner that time. That's he would have been lucky to get that. Rob is one of the <laughs> one of the world's true great tight asses. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, I do, I do remember that. Uh, that was, uh, see, that was a few years ago now. Uh, but yeah, that was a it was a short lived experiment. But Rob had always been involved in um, in trading cards, collecting them as a kid, and yeah. uh, I got got into it. Pretty heavily myself, but uh, unfortunately, twelve months after we opened, Rob ended up uh, playing overseas in Jerusalem, I think mm. it was, and then made his way to Canberra. Uh, was when Mike Dunlap had his great purge of the team, and yeah. I ended up in Newcastle, and we we tried to keep the business running, but um, it, it just didn't work with either both of us being interstate. But um, yeah, it was good fun, good fun time. Childhood later though, that does surprise us, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you know, eleven year old. <laughs> okay, now that that's let's get on to what we're here for for this week, guys. And I mean, it's a, I mean, when you're talking about putting together all time Adelaide 36ers teams, it's, it's hard to imagine two better people to be sitting down talking to. Obviously, Brett, you're probably the greatest player the clubs the clubs ever had. You don't need to say that; I can say it say it for you. And Scott, you're you've had a hell of a legacy yourself as a player, as a coach, as an assistant coach, and as we talk about every every week, you're the only man that's been involved in in all four championships that the 36ers have won. So between the two of you, you've pretty much seen every player that we're going to talk about that comes into consideration, either as a teammate, as a as a coach, or now, I guess, over the last decade, just watching on. So it's going to be a fascinating discussion. It's, it's hard to know where to start, but what I'll start with, the Adelaide Advertiser put together their own, own team, which was voted on by the public five years ago. Let me run through their starting five. Darnell Mee, Brett Maher, Rob Rose, Mark Davis, and Mark Bradkey. I can't imagine between the three of us, our teams will look anything like that. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, my team, oh, well, there's, there's a couple of familiar names sure. there that are in my team, but um, there's certainly a couple that aren't. Um, interesting, you know, Mark Bradkey, best years weren't with the 36ers. Uh, they came later with the uh, Melbourne Tigers, and, you know, well, I think the best centre that's ever played in the NBL. But, you know, he was, he was a young kid when he, when he played here, and yeah. probably five years I think he played, and really only his last year or two, you, you know, were, were you know, at a very good level. So I think that's... I probably probably just told you that I haven't had him in my uh, first <laughs> yeah. team, I suppose. But um, 
Um, and, and Rob's an interesting one as well. Rob, uh, Rob only played two years with the 36ers. Um, clearly an all-time NBL great. Um, I, I was thinking about him uh, yesterday. You know, we've all been watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan and, um, you, you know, seeing how ruthless a competitor he was. And, you know, to me, Rob Rose was the NBL equivalent of that. He was the most competitive player that I've that I've ever played with and, and would not take. You know, he, I've been on the end of a couple of bakings from him uh, <laughs> At various times, if he didn't think you were you know, putting, giving it, you know, all you could, and uh, was just a ruthless competitor, and had two outstanding years here, but they were only two years. Yeah. Now, question for both of you: When we're looking at an all-time team like this, do you do you look at individual brilliance? Do you look at how long they played for? Do you put a do you put a minimum sort of games on it? Is it a hundred games? Is it two hundred games? Do you look at the successful teams they're a part of? Do championships come into it? Do club MVP awards come into it? Do league MVP awards come into it? What sort of things do you when you're choosing between, I guess, two players? What do you what do you weigh up the most? Well, I think to preface this, it's a very dangerous thing to be putting this like this together <laughs> because we know all the players. We're gonna we're gonna certainly piss a couple of people mm. off, and in all honesty, it's so close uh, between certain players. But it's also really hard if picking players from different eras yeah. to compare, as everyone keeps saying. Um, so it's a really hard process to go through, and. You really, uh, for me, I set my own little criteria for it. That's why um, some people I haven't got in the teams, but I can kind of explain that uh, hopefully as we go along. But it is, um, yeah, it's a very difficult process. And uh, I think we'll see that we'll all have different lists. Mm. So yeah, everyone thinks about it a little bit differently. Yeah, it's tough because uh, you look at it, the 1986 team, I think, is. It's probably still today considered the greatest team in NBL history. But then you look at the team from the late 90s to the early 2000s, you had such a great run of success. And I guess you look at the last the last decade, there hasn't there hasn't been team success, but you've had some, some really great players like Daniel Johnson, Adam Ballinger, and I guess even given he's won a league MVP award, Jerome Randall. I mean, it's like you said, it's it's tricky to... to to stack up what, what performances mean the more given, given that it's such a different environment that everybody played in. Yeah, it certainly is, and I guess that's what makes this fun. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's uh, I think all the things you mentioned come into come into play: team success, individual success, you know, longevity, um, club MVPs, and, and so on. I guess you know, when it comes down to selecting someone ahead of the other, uh, it, it's how much weight you put in all those things combined. I suppose, and mm. uh, that's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Um, now, what we might try and do is break it down position by position. So let's start with the point guard, if if you're both happy with that, and. And to me, the contenders, if I forget anybody, please let me know. Darnell Mee, an absolute defensive legend of the league. 131 games in Adelaide, two championships, three times NBL best defensive player while he was with the 36ers, was named to an all-first NBL team and a two-time club MVP. Then you got Al Green, 164 games with Adelaide, won a championship, named to an all-NBL first team. We've even got the, the legendary coach, Phil Smythe, who finished his career as a player with the 36ers as well. Jerome Randall, who I mentioned before, 85 games, has won a league MVP, two-time club MVP, and a two-time all-first NBL team. And Jason Williams is another one. I'm, you, you guys know better than I do if he was a genuine point guard or a bit of a, bit of a, a combo guard, but 166 games, three championships, I guess that deserves recognition as well. Have I missed anybody? Oh, the only the only other person I would suggest that you know is Butch Hayes. Um, sure. You know, once again, longevity um, wasn't there. Butch only had the two years here, but um, you know, two two excellent years, and, and went on to be a you know a, a great in the NBL uh, over the rest of his career as well. I think he's probably the only other name when you sort of start talking um, these sort of lists that you can consider. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think uh, I think we'll probably all have the same ones. at switch order in this position that we put them. And I know, for me, I've flipped the two back and forth in my mind, and there's some really strong arguments for both of these. Well, why don't you go ahead, Brent? <laughs> Brent as we're in your house. Why don't you go ahead and give us your starting point guard and uh, your backup point guard? All-time 36's history. Uh, well, I chose Al Green as my starting point guard and Darnell Mee as my backup point guard. And that, to me, was really hard because I think Darnell Mee was probably the best um, or, and most favourite player that I ever played with. 
But I also weighed up that our, if you, and for a lot of this stuff, we take the West Adelaide stuff into consideration as well, mm. um, as they kind of amalgamated with the 36s. Sure. So he won, in that case, it was two championships. He won a league MVP scoring title. He had yeah, 70 points in a game and was one of the all-time greats. He's got a signal hanging from the stadium. So I decided to squeeze him in front of Darnell, but in reality, that is a flip of a coin for me. Darnell, as I said, was if you wanted someone to get you to win, he would do whatever it took, whether it's defensive, offensive or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's why I've chosen those two. It was a real hard one to pick one in front of the other. This was the, uh, Chris, for me, this was my most difficult Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've gone the opposite of Brett. I've gone Darnell Me as my starter with uh, with our Green as 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 the, the backup. But I I found this really difficult. I think I went for Darnell in the end. Is is he's one of only two players, and the other being Damien Martin, that could score two or four points in a game and totally dominate a game because oh. of what he could do defensively. And uh, you know, in '98. Our first championship, uh, the first year, you know, the first quarter of that game against the Magic in Melbourne, he terrorised them. You know, he, he blocked four or five shots. I think they went three of 23 in the first quarter and absolutely set the tone for that, what ended up being a 90 to 62 blowout. And that, you know, every one of them was shooting the ball was looking to see where he was. And he, mm. he, he was that good defensively at length. Um, um, but, you know, he... Yeah, obviously we had a lot of success there. Um, Al Green for me is 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 pound for pound the, the best athlete that I've I've seen in my time in basketball. Yeah, you know, you're talking about a guy who scored 71 points in a game, a ferocious competitor, uh, you know, championship winner, MVP. Um, you know, then went and won two uh, two Bay Sheffield Sprint, you know, in the mm. special running. Um, but yeah, I, once again, this was I, I'd be happy. Either way, we went. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I went Darnell with uh, with Al in my second team. Now, you, both of you in practice and also uh, in games when, I guess, we knew you were playing elsewhere, Scott, and also when Darnell was playing elsewhere, you would have been guarded by him. What was it like to, to have him guarding you, either in practice or in a game? Oh, Darnell was an interesting one because uh, I, you know, I... I he, he, you never really beat him. So if, if you penetrated and got past him, his length, he could still come over your entire body and block his shot from behind. So he was he was just so long and, and quick and, and timing. Was Al had the physicality and would just beat the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and was it, you know, once he hunkered down and, and got in his mind he was going to stop you, there wasn't a lot you could do either. But that, that was the thing that always, um, you know, at times I'd, I'd be able to get past Daniel, but he was never out of the, you know, he was never, never out of the play. He always found a way to stay in there and get a hand and a, a affect your shot in one way or another. And, uh, yeah, very, very, two very, very special players. You're one of the great scorers and shooters in league history, Brett. What was it like trying to score against Dunnell? Well, I think that's what helped me because I matched up on him a lot at training. Yep. So for me, it was finding ways to be able to score. And when you're able to do it through a training on a regular basis day to day, it's pretty easy when you come up against far less defenders on a weekly basis. So it really helped, I think, being able to develop different ways to score against such a good defender. I never really got to play against Al um, too much. He was right towards the end of his career as yep. I was coming through. but. Um, Dar- Darnell I played a lot against on a daily basis and you always had your work cut out for you and uh, for me yeah, if it wasn't Damien Martin he's the best defender I've seen sure. For those of us that didn't see Al Green play can you sort of sum up a little bit just how dynamic of a, of a scorer and a player he was? He was uh, it just it, uh, unbelievable in the open court, you yeah. know. Like he just, um, you know, he was he was strong as an ox. Um, you know, he he was one of those great early athletes. You know, he was head high to the rim. I was smaller than both Brett and me. I was only about six foot one, but athletically, he could do whatever he wanted to. His, uh, I mean, we all played above the ring, didn't we? <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> uh, but you know, he was so strong. You know, he, if he had a smaller guy on him, you just take him into the block, and he was very very effective in the block. And I. And I I think, you know, as, as his game progressed, his perimeter shot became very reliable as well. And, um, 
yeah, he he was just, and he was ferocious. He was uh, he was one of the great talkers uh, of all time mm. as well. And uh, some of the battles that he had with guys like you know, well, Cal Bruden is the one that really springs to mind back in the day. Mm. Were just uh, were just sights to behold. And uh, um, yeah, he was uh, he was amazing. It's exciting to watch. There's not many players that you say, um, like you just pay to go watch them play, but yep. he certainly falls into that category. The style he was exciting, athletic, and uh, certainly you'd pay money just to go watch our play, especially in his heyday. He's very good. And he's one like Jordan who used to trash talk just to get you to fight back. <laughs> and then as soon as you did, that would elevate his yep. game to the next level. And so everyone tried to bite their lip and not talk back to him because you just knew uh, he was a sleeping giant and just waiting for you to say something so he just <laughs> elevate. Now, for what it's worth, I've gone Darnell Me as my starting point guard and Al Green as my backup, but it's difficult for me because I didn't see a lot of Al Green play and I did see a lot of a lot of Darnell. So I guess that's probably why I've gone that way. Um, in the in that team in the in the advertiser, very close. The voting there, um, Dunnell got forty two point eight percent, and Al got thirty seven point six percent. So that shows that really there's nothing between the two of them. And if you've got a team that has those two as your point guards, yeah, you've got a pretty good starting point. So I think I think it's a great great way to start start this team, and it's a great discussion point. It'll be fascinating to see what our our listeners think about who who they would have had as their number one and number two, or even I guess if they think that somebody else deserved to be above them, which is pretty pretty hard to imagine. But, um, I mean, someone like Jason Williams, can you tell me a bit about him? Oh, Jason, uh, yeah, Jason was a hard worker. He came in, he, he made the most of his ability. Um, I, I coached him at a local level with uh, the Sturt Basketball Club and, and the first thing I did when I coached him there was to move him from the shooting guard to the point guard because mm. I, thought, I thought he was more suited to that and that's where he played minutes in the NBL as well. But, he was he was, had good size, six foot five. Um, he was a, he was a really important cog of the, our last championship in two thousand and two. Um, not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but you know he got four, five, six years out of out of the NBL just by playing his role, uh, you know, defending um, and just doing whatever you know whatever was required of him. Now the shooting guard pretty obvious i think who who the starter is you know i mean brett Maher speaks speaks for yourself your record 525 games obviously an adelaide record three championships two times grand final mvp three times all nba first team six-time club mvp olympian we can go down the list and we can probably be here here all day talking about your accolades but that's what you've got your own podcast for um you should see the smile on his face, he, he can't wait to name himself as a starting, uh, starting shooting guard. Um, it's always tough to talk about yourself or put yourself in a discussion like this, Brett, but... Have you, have you met Brett? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> what did, what did, did you have to think about it? How easy was it to name yourself? Oh, look, I didn't know criteria whether it was even acceptable mm. to put yourself in the team, so I, I have got some... Definite backups or people that would be more than adequate to slip into that position. And I guess, yeah, my other player I've picked is Daryl Pierce. He's uh, one of the guys that I grew up watching and kind of modelled my game on a little bit. I love the way he had an effortless shooting style, was one of the best shooters ever in the NBL. And uh, yeah, I just love watching him play. So I had him kind of in there as well. And I guess an honourable mention is uh, Willie Farley, who yeah. I have a great relationship with. We won the championship in '02, and um, was one of those other guys that you would pay to watch. He was exciting, athletic. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had Daryl in there. He's single, it's also hanging mm. from the rafters. He's earned that, and was one of the great 36ers. Yeah, look, Chris, I've gone the same way. No great surprise. I've put Brett, uh, you know, along with Mark Davis, uh, the, you know, the two greats in our club's history. Um, Daryl Pierce, you know, is certainly I've certainly got him as backup, but Daryl was an incredible player and he always elevated his games in in big games, um, Olympian and and one of the best shooters I've ever had to the pleasure of seeing. Um, I when I first started sort of getting opportunities on the court, I was I was backing up Daryl and 
he used to get so shirty when you subbed on for him. He, he just didn't like <laughs> being, off, being off the court. He was a tremendous competitor and uh, and, and and a winner, you know, like at, uh, at all levels. And he always played well, um, you know, in, as I said, in big games. I'm the same with Brad. You know, Willie Farley gets an honourable mention, but he's not in the uh, the rare air that uh, both Brett and Daryl Pierce are. Now, Brett, Scott played 233 games for the Sixers, won two championships. Did he come into your calculations at all? Oh, look, he's definitely there. Like In this position, a lot of players that play in the two can play in the three or even yep. swing into the one. So you can manipulate guys around. And, uh, yeah, there's a few that are probably yeah, right there um, with Scott, Willie, um, and there's another one, that, but I'm going to probably slot him in my three spot. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're lucky in those kind of positions. We have a lot of depth. And, yeah, as you said, like, Scotty's right up there. But uh, I put Daryl in front because he... Because um, he was better. Because <laughs> 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 you know, he's a different style of player. But, uh, yeah, I think Daryl certainly has earned his spot there for sure. Now, I've taken a little bit of poetic license. I've gone Willie Farley in my two spot, but only because I then pushed Daryl Pierce into the into the three spot. Could, you know better than I do, could Willie and, Willie and Daryl both play the two and three spot or... Would have, would have that worked? Oh, I think so. You know, like two, twos and threes and a lot of the teams that I've played in were interchangeable positions. You know, they, uh, so I think so. And, the, you know, there's, this isn't the biggest league in the world. You know, you can play a little bit of small ball. Willie was six foot four. wasn't mm. like he was, and, and Daryl was probably six two, six three. So, oh, look, and, and you've got guys that, you know, different style of players that would complement each other really well. I mean, you know, one that can shoot the lights out, the other that was just an incredible athlete. So, uh, um, yeah, I'd think, mate, it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want as far as poetic license. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've got no issue with that at all. One guy we haven't mentioned, Mike Mike Mackay. What can you tell me about him? Look, Mike, uh, and I think we, you know, probably Brett and I, considering more of the, you know, that bigger guard, and, and I guess he came into consideration for both of us in, in the three position, okay, uh, sure. small forward. Um, but, you know, great player, you know, six or four, strongs and not. You know, ha- having him and Daryl in the same team, you know, just gave nightmares to opposition teams with the way they could shoot the ball for the three-point line. Uh, and another ruthless competitor and, and a winner, I think. It's, you know, it's a real shame that he didn't get to, you know, finish his career in Adelaide, which is he would have loved to have done, but um, yeah, it's just certainly still being all time great at the club, and uh, you know, will make his way into the club's Hall of Fame uh, sooner rather later, I'd imagine. Yeah, 290 games for the club, so that speaks for itself. Won a championship. Um, the small forward position. Now, I found found this really tough, and for reasons that we've already talked about earlier on the show, it, it comes down to, I guess, what what your criteria is. So, some of the some of the names that I I jotted down: Rupert Sapwell. You know, 197 games for Adelaide. Obviously, played plenty elsewhere as well, but he played three championships, as we just mentioned. Mike Mackay, Mark Nash, 173 games. Won a championship. Martin Catalini, 217 games for Adelaide, two championships, two time club MVP. Rob Rose, obviously an amazing career elsewhere, but in Adelaide in those two years, he was incredible. 60 games, named to an all NBL first team, won a club MVP. Mitch Creek, I think, is a, is a name that, that goes under the radar, but 197 games, won a club MVP, and he's gone on to play in the M- NBA and for, for his country ever since. Um, yeah, I mean those are the those are the main ones that stood out. Before we talk about who we've picked, did I did I miss anybody? No, I think you've got it pretty well covered there, mate. So I think Mitch Creek's an interesting one. I, you know, you, you forget how many games he, he was involved in yeah. with the club. He was here for seven or eight years, and look, yeah, there those first couple of years he was he was young and. Yeah, you know, didn't get a lot of minutes, but um, yeah, you know, to play nearly 200 games and uh, go on to become the player that he has, he didn't he didn't make either of my team, but mm. I think he's he's certainly worth a uh, an honorary mention when you when you're talking about this sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. He was he was one that I really enjoyed. I guess watching his journey from the start as a young player to come through, he really matured over that period of time. Um, he grew physically and is one of the great athletes that's played in, in the NBL. Yeah. And um, also just from that maturity point, the way he started and uh, became a leader of the team as well, it was really good to see how he developed in all of those areas. So um, he was very, very dominant in his last couple of years here with the 36ers and, of course, has gone on to some uh, other good things in basketball as well. But, yeah, he. Uh, 
he's right up there for sure. And as you, all of those names you mentioned, it's pretty hard, isn't it, to pick mm. two? Well, why don't you lighten us with your picks, Brad? <laughs> well, I've gone with the cat man, Martin yeah. Catalini, as my starting three. I think he goes down as one of the best three men all time. Uh, it's really hard when you look in this position. There's the Sam McKinnons, Glenn Savills as Australians in this, and I think Cat ranks right up there with them, if not better. And as part of our championships, he was certainly one of the main players and uh, was probably unlucky not to have got finals MVP in some of those finals. He played mm. very, very solidly and very well in the big games as well as through the season. He went on. He was very unlucky not to get an NBL MVP. The only reason he didn't was because the year that Sam McKinnon had that yeah. year in Brisbane. Um, but he is one of the all-time best 36ers, especially in that three position. And then I had as my backup, I had my Mackay in there because okay. a, his longevity, went to Olympic Games, uh, World Championship, and uh, the years he had here were certainly, I think, his best years and uh, was also one of the guys that I loved growing up watching play. Um, I think if it was purely based on talent, then Rob Rose I would have put in as my starting three easily. But for me, I, I put a bit of a criteria on it. Although he had those cracker two years here, um, I, I kind of put a bit of a limit on they had to play at least three or four years for me sure. to put them in the team. So otherwise, he would have got in for sure. Yeah, very, very close here too, Chris. So I've got Catalini as, as my starting small forward yep. for the you know for the reasons Brett's Brett's just said. There was uh, you know longevity, championship success. Um, you know, played well in big games. Um, I went slightly opposite of Brett. I, I did have Robert Rose as my backup uh, small forward. And, and once again, it was only two years, but I think he, he was that dominant in those two years. And we had good teams in those years. Mm. And, and uh, you know, we had you know, four or five guys that were involved in the Australian program. We had Mark Davis still at the top of his game. And, and there were times that Rob, Rob was that good. We would just stand there and watch, you know, mm. probably not through, through the benefit of the team, but uh, um, but yeah, I, I've got Mike McKay, if we were doing a third team, he would have been my next pick. Yeah, I've gone for, for Cat as well, and he's, he, he'll forever be one of my favourite favorite players, I still get to catch up with him from time to time, and I asked him the question a little while ago, out of the three clubs, where does he feel he played his best basketball, and which does he still feel the best connection to, and he, he's happy to say that his, his best years were, were in Adelaide, as good as his career that he started and finished in Perth was and, and his four years in Cairns, that was probably when he was at his actual, I guess, physical peak and he actually got to dominate a team because he was the go-to man. But yeah, he, he's always going to say that his fondest memories are, are with, with Adelaide. Um, what was the difference like playing against a guy like Cat who was such a competitor, such a, you talked about trash talker with, with Al Green, he'd love to have a, have a chat out there. He'd love to, he'd love to shoot the ball in your face, let's be honest. What was it like playing against him and then also having him as a teammate and then going back to playing against him again? Oh, he's a pain in the ass. He's, uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was assistant coach to Ian Stucker up in Townsville for a year when, when Cat was at his the height of his powers in Cairns yep. and I was in charge of, of doing the scouting for them and, um, you know, Cat loved to be able to catch and shoot. He loved to, he loved to dribble once, with a left-handed dribble once, pull up for a jump shot. He, he was exceptional at it and I was really strong. Do not let him catch and shoot. Do not let him go one dribble left and pull up for the jump shot. Well, what happened? happens you know whether they didn't read the scouting mm. report he starts one dribble left jump shot then ends up having about 38 points on us <laughs> and every shot he hit he runs about past the bench and looks at me and goes Scotty, didn't you tell him I wanted to go one <laughs> And just, he, was, he just had the night, he had the day of his life. I, mean, I was getting madder and madder and, uh, you know, probably took it out and Larry Abney, who was, who was guarding him at the time. But uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was spirited. He liked to, uh, when, I, when I was my brief time coaching the 36ers, uh, we were playing against him and there was uh, yeah, a little incident just before half time and Luke Shenshaw lost his mind. And Luke. Uh, that's not Luke Shenshaw. He doesn't do that. And uh, um, I didn't see what went on. We went in the change room. I gave my halftime spill. Uh, they went back on the court and uh, I said to the team manager, I said, what What happened? And he said, Cat 
pulled his ponytail. <laughs> and I, and I, sp- I caught up with Ken after the game and I said, mate, why would you do that? And he said, I just couldn't help myself, Scotty. I just saw it there and I just had to give it a little tug. So uh, he was a bit of a prick. Yeah, he, he, he liked to cause a bit of uh, kerfuffle from time to time. He wasn't averse to conflict. I remember <laughs> him chesting up to many of people and sticking his big nose in their face. And, um, we used to call him the chicken man a bit, but just pumping his chest out and having a go at people. But he's one of those just lovable blokes that I think anyone that's played with him, um, they just love hanging out with him. He's, he adds that extra dimension to the to the change rooms where you, uh, it can get very monotonous throughout the course of the year. And he was one of those guys that always kind of livened it up. In the voting in the advertiser for the, the, the three-man position, I was amazed. Rob Rowe, sixty-two percent, and the and Cat only got twenty-seven percent. You are you surprised by that? Oh, not really. I don't think you know. Once again, you, those sort of things are, can be a popularity award. Mm. Uh, there's no real criteria set, and and you know the people that saw Rob play in a, in a thirty-six a uniform, you know, get to remember this dynamic superstar that was at the absolute top of his game. So, uh, no, that does, doesn't really surprise me. But I think if you, uh, you know, you're doing what we do now and, and you put in some loose criteria, I yeah. suppose. Uh, um, but, yeah, look, you know, Rob Rose, Catalini, um, you know, <laughs> give me either of those two guys. Now, with Rob, obviously, I guess it depends on what criteria said if he's in in contention for this, this sort of a team or not. But... Overall, where does he rank in terms of all-time NBL players? He's got to be top top five at least, doesn't he? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Look, I well, it's, it, it sounds like another list uh, for us, Chris. But <laughs> yeah. uh, look, he, he's definitely for me, definitely top five. I think you know most people would have him in the top ten somewhere. But yeah. you, you, know, you also can't overlook you know the names from uh, you know certainly that I guess that golden era the you know the Mark Davis James Crawford Scott Fisher Bruce Bolden mm. and Andrew Gaislin Art Copeland and, and so on and so on and so on yeah look I, I'd, I'd have to have a think about it but def, definitely in the top 10 for me. okay and now Power forward position. This one, this one's really tricky because um, I guess it depends on on in terms of some of them if they're natural power forwards or not. But I guess the starter speaks for himself. Mark Davis, four hundred eighty-one games, three championships, MVP, four times All NBL First Team, four times Club MVP. Before I run down the rest of the list, is it fair to say that he's a lock for the for the starting spot for all of us? Yeah, look, for me, definitely is. He's uh, I think the best player that's played for the Thirty Sixers. If you look at his career, what he did, he he revolutionised the NBL when he came out here and, and made teams recruit just to stop him. And you saw teams like Perth start to bring in guys like Fisher, etc., just to be able to cope with someone of the calibre of Mark Davis. And he had all of his years here, and, and I loved watching him uh, coming through and then getting to play with him was a huge thrill. And, uh, I mean, to lead the league in rebounding, uh, I mean, that length of time at six foot six mm. um, is incredible. And, yeah, so he easily cements himself in my starting four spot. Look, he's, a, he's the greatest player I think I've ever played with, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, not only is he the best power forward the 36 have ever had, I think he's the best power forward the NBL's ever sure. seen. However, I've uh, got a bit of poetic license. I don't actually have him as my starting four. So uh, there oh, you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my backup four, I've gone with KB, with Kevin Brooks. I think uh, he uh, also changed the game out here to come out at six foot eight with those silky handles um, and that weird-looking shot of his, but... Just the clutch player. He self called himself Mr. Clutch, by the way. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he was exciting to watch. Loved playing with him, uh, and he could have played in the three or played a lot in the three spot sure. as well. One of those guys that, like Catalini, who probably towards the end of his career played a lot of minutes in that four spot. Yeah, um, yeah. KB uh, is probably unlucky not to be in in the starting five, but yeah, he uh, he's my backup there. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, sorry, his, his record's great. It was only 98 games, I guess, but two championships, grand final MVP, all-NBL first team, club MVP, and now to be an assistant coach as long as he has been, I guess, for longevity in terms of service to the club, he, he's, he's, he's been, a, been a wonderful Adelaide 
36ers person? Oh, absolutely. It's it's, it's great to you know the great to see you know a guy of his calibre one to come out here and for us to have the privilege to play with him and then to have the success we had with him and and then all these years later for him to uh, to still be here. I I hope that he's that he's not lost to the club. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to see him here for a long time to come, but I guess that's that will play out over the next uh, couple of months anyway. But um, I've um, I've actually got <laughs> Kevin. Bro- I've actually got Kevin Brooks as my starting four. Um, <laughs> and before everyone's listening to this, thinks I'm crazy. I will be able to explain myself the Mark, not having Mark Davis in there <laughs> shortly. Um, but KB once again was just a was a superstar. Um, and and looking at my list. You know, Darnell, Brett, Catalini, KB. You know that was our that was our lineup in those back to back championships. Yeah. Um, so that KB for me is my starting four. I once again probably a little bit of poetic license to my backup four. I've got Daniel Johnson as my backup four. Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, he has played four at various times of his career, and and I think. Once again, this is where it gets difficult with the, the you know, with a you know, when we get to the centre position, that's where I had my most difficulty. Um, but then, you know, Adam Ballinger, uh, Dusty Wright, Dusty Reichardt, David Stiff. I mean, you, you're talking about some some pretty pretty impressive players. You know, Ballinger was a four-time club MVP. Uh, I think he you know, won the MVP pretty- just about every season he played. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, he's probably, once again, if we're picking a third team, I'd probably have Ballander as, as my third team power forward. But uh, for me, Kevin Brooks, uh, backed up by Daniel Johnson. Anthony Petrie, Jacob Holmes are two more guys that probably don't quite make the team, but I think just for the competitive warriors that they were, I think they both deserve deserve recognition too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Jacob played, uh, you know, he, he was here for a lot of years. From yeah. uh, Once again, as, as a kid to... To later on in his career, uh, yes, he, he you know he, he went went elsewhere as well. But uh, yeah, certainly, um, you know, once again, if you if you're making a list like this, he should be on a short list for sure. Yeah, they were to me, they were really good role players and yeah. um, came on played their roles. Whereas I think the separating factor for me is that KB and Mark Davis were legitimate superstars, and yeah. that's uh, I guess the differentiating factor for me. Yeah, I've I've gone the same as you, Brett. I've gone Davis with Kevin Brooks as the backup. And in that poll of the advertiser, they went the same as well. Mark Davis got 83% of the vote for the starter and and Kevin Brooks 11% as as the backup. So I I think it's it's those two that are the standout. But when you have to try to squeeze into your top five, Daniel Johnson is one that is fascinating. So let's move to the centres. Really, over the course of his 275-game career, given his play with guys like Matt Hodgson, who is a genuine genuine centre and, and different guys like that. Maybe even, even I'm sure there's been a couple of other big fellas that he's played with too that slipped my mind, but he hasn't always been a centre on the teams that he's played on. He spent a lot of time at the four spot, but in terms of centres, um, that's where I've counted him in 275 games, five times club MVP, three times all NBL first team, and you would think over the next three years, those numbers are going to end up at you know 350 plus games and, and who knows what else he'll achieve there. The only thing that he doesn't have, which every other player in our teams have, is that he hasn't quite won a championship, but he's been to two, two grand finals and hopefully... That soon changes, but gee, the list of centres is impressive. Paul Reese, 262 games with Adelaide, three championships. David Stiff, he obviously did amazing things elsewhere, but even in Adelaide, 121 games, two championships. Mark Bradkey, who we talked about before, the first 118 games of his NBL career were in Adelaide. Bill Jones, championship winning captain, 113 games. Even, I guess, someone in the mould of a, of a Jacob Holmes or an Anthony Petrie. David Cooper was a great warrior that you you guys both know really, really well as well. Almost 200 games that he played for the club as well. We haven't been we haven't been shy on having some, some great fight man at the 36ers over the years. Yeah, I think we've had some really good ones. And for me, um, I, I couldn't put Branky in there, mainly because, uh, as Scott alluded to before, his best years were after the 36ers. Sure. Although I was there when he played his last game for the 36ers and had... I think 42 points and mm. 26 rebounds or something ridiculous yeah. like that and was yeah out of this world. But for me in the, in the five spot, I had DJ, five-time club MVP, and uh, I think he's really grown and found uh, a nice spot there in this 36ers list. And uh, I was really excited when he signed on for another three years. And I had him backed up um, by Bill Jones, who mm-hmm. um, growing up, was uh, was really fun to watch. One of those real good two foot jumpers. Um, enjoyed dunking the ball, and um, yeah, it was one of my favourites to go along and watch. So those two, 
Um, and, of course, Reezy had some great success with the championships and was a proven winner, but probably, once again, more of a really good role player. John. than an actual superstar himself that uh, those other two are. Yeah, and I guess, Chris, this is where I used a little bit of poetic license. Yep. I looked at, you know, I just didn't feel, I, I guess, with Daniel Johnson, you know, the lack of success, I'm not no, through no fault of his own. I mean, mm. they've been the two grand finals with him in the team. I, I just struggled to put him in my first team All-Star 5, and that's why I found him a backup spot at the um, um, at the 4, and also with Paul Reese and Brett here for the reasons that uh, Brett said. So I've put Mark Davis as my starting centre. A um, little bit controversial, I know, but he did play um, he did play decent minutes at centre throughout his career, undersized, obviously. Um, the reason for that is I just felt that I needed to have Kevin Brooks in the in my first team, and, and that was, and obviously Davis was going to make it uh, somewhere along the line. And, and talking to Brett before we started this, you know, that lineup, me, Mark, Catalini, Brooks, and Davis, you know, Davis was our first sub coming off the bench during those back to back championship years. And he would come in for Paul Reese, and we, we would go with that lineup uh, yeah. for, for a lot of minutes. And uh, I just think, uh, so yeah, I, I have used. A little bit of poetic license, but mainly it's because I didn't think you know any of those I guess traditional centres, for want of a better word, were you know could probably squeeze in that first team. Um, I'm the same as Brett. I've got Bill Jones as my uh, backup centre. Uh, Bill was a amazing mentor to me. You know, like Al Green, Daryl Pierce, and Mike McKay trying to beat me up at training every day. <laughs> Bill Jones was always the one that would take you aside and really encourage you and and you know like teach you a lot of. Uh, on and off the court. He was just an amazing, amazing man. I, I had a lot of time for him. And he was a guy, he was the unsung hero in the, in those uh, that 86 championship. I mean, he was the guy that, you know, blocked three shots in the last two minutes. He always was able to elevate his game, you know, in big games. So he always came up with the big play, the big block, the big rebound. And uh, for that reason, I've got him ahead of um, Reese, Bracky and, uh, and Stiffo. Yeah, I mean, you, you both make great, great cases. For what it's worth, I've gone DJ as my starter and I've gone Paul Reese as my backup, mainly because he's one of our favourites here on Sixers Fix, Scott. He's one of, of our, one of our best guests all season. He's not going to come back. <laughs> he's certainly entertaining. And once again, one of those guys in the locker room that kept the funny every day and, uh, yeah, was just a great guy to play with as well. David Stiff. Obviously, I guess his best years, like some of these other guys, were outside of Adelaide, and he obviously won, I think it's four other championships elsewhere as well, or, or was it five? He might be the, the seven-time winner. What, what was he like to play with? Again, like like Cat, having also spent plenty of time playing against him. I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure that that's correct, Chris. He, he's, he 2002, that championship year, he was, it was Mar Farley and Stiff. They were, they were the, our big three. Yeah, he sure. was, uh, he, he was vital to those, uh, to that championship run. And, uh, yeah, then he, after that, he just kept winning championships yeah. every year, everywhere he went. I, I love Stiffy, you know, like he's, he's, he's a different human being. He, he, <laughs> unorthodox, I think, <laughs> especially love doing stuff that was outside the box. So all his, step through moves, pivot moves, he loved doing all of that and, and just mentally like just he'd say stuff that was out of the box and I guess that's probably why he went into psychology after basketball. Mm. He, I tell you what, he used to give Melvin Thomas absolute fits and there, there's another all-time player in the league history but Melvin Thomas did not know how to handle Stiffy with his step-throughs and his, you know, he always thought he was travelling and complaining to the referee. Stiffy always had big games against Melvin because he just, he just bamboozled him. But, uh, yeah, a great man. Yeah, certainly worthy of being in this, in this conversation with what he brought to the 36ers in his time here. Now, when you have a look at your, your starting five, I'll start with yours, Brett. You have a look at look at Al Green, yourself, Martin Catalini, Mark Davis, and Daniel Johnson. You pretty happy with that? I am, but like when I look at it and then I look at my second team, mm. I, I, I'm thinking, look, I think the second team could very easily knock off the first team. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it would be a really, I'd love to see that scrimmage pan out, that's for sure. But I also thought of one more name that I'd forgotten in the, in the two spot that, Probably only just misses out as well, and that's John Rilly. Um, yeah. He had, uh, what, three or four years here, won a championship, and he was huge in some of those games, especially some that spring to mind against Perth. Um, he had some great years here, and, yeah, he's probably um, knocking on the door there as well. Probably the only man that rivaled you as a, sh- as a pure shooter too. 
Yeah, well, I love rebounding for him, and Scott will say the same thing. Like, you rebound for him, you weren't moving two feet, and then you'd go and rebound for someone like Dean Brogan, and you'd run a marathon. <laughs> but uh, he was fantastic, the rebound for and Yeah, one of those just pure shooters. It was great to watch. Uh, it's an interesting story, uh, Chris. I um, I went from Adelaide 36ers to the Townsville Crocodiles yep. uh, to the South Dragons in three years. So I went from rebounding to Brett, from Brett Maher to John Reilly to Shane Hill. So three mm. of the all-time great shooters. And Brett's right, you, you didn't have to move too much. Ball was coming out of the bottom of the net with everyone. I, I, I think as far as just shooting with it, you know, without a defender on you, I know that doesn't happen in games. I think John really was the best I've ever seen. He, he just did not miss. Uh, you know, Brett's obviously an extraordinary shooter. will go down as one of the greatest. He was, you know, just so ruthless if he, he would set himself uh, you know, if he had, he'd have to make eight out of ten from one spot before he'd move on to the next. And if he missed the first two, he would just found a way. He would, you knew he'd always hit the next eight in a row. So you know, though, I was very privileged mm. to see see those three guys in three successive years. But uh, really, to me, just stands out as. As it was just such an effortless shot, and um, yeah, yeah we, have, we have been remiss of not mentioning it. This well, uh, another one of my favourites, the the doctor Darren Ing. How does he raise the shooter? Oh, right up there, yeah. without without question. Possibly the best out of all of them. Yeah. I mean, he, he certainly wasn't the player that you know the, the caliber of person people were talking about. But sure. Darren was uh, was you know he he was he had the ability to turn a game in two minutes. You know, like he could come on hit three threes in a row and you know blow the game out. And he'd look at the end of the game and he had nine points. That that was his whole scoring. Yeah. But he he just uh, yeah he 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 was great to watch. Great to watch as a shooter. And what about your starting five? When I read it back to you, Scott, Daniel, me, Brad Ma, Martin Catalini, Kevin Brooks, Mark Davis. Pretty happy with it. I am happy with that. Yeah, like I said, I just the center spot was just one that I just didn't feel. Uh, I, I would have been uncomfortable not having Kevin Brooks in that starting lineup, and, and I guess with Davis there as an undersized centre, you know, KB was six foot eight, six foot nine, so it's not like you, you're playing completely small ball, and you've also got yeah. Darnell as a, as a big point guard who could who could guard bigger, you know, dip three and four men as well. So I am, I I, I like the look of it. I'm, I you know the, the Darnell Al Green thing for me still is I don't know if it sits completely comfortably because Al was such a all time superstar of the NBL. Um, I, I just think sometimes we underrate defense uh, and and uh, and certainly a lot. Not Al Green was a terrific defender as well, but um, Darnell did things that to me only Damian Martin's ever done, and, and be able to dominate a game up that end of the court is a is a very very rare ability, and and uh, I sometimes don't think we give it the credit that it deserves and. Uh, but apart from that, I'm pretty happy with it. Now, is there anyone that both of you are, in terms of somebody who you've left out of your teams, now a bit scared next time you bump into them that they'll they'll be a little bit unhappy? Oh, Al Green's going to lose his mind. <laughs> and I didn't, that's that's the one that jumps out straight away. I think uh, no, I think apart from that, everyone will probably be good. Rob, Rob might have a few words to say that yeah. he just didn't, didn't make it. I think we've tried to cover our ass as much as possible. <laughs> got to say, but yeah, I think I mean Rob. I think we'd all have in our starting five pretty much any team, but yeah. just due to um, like the criteria that I set with two years, I couldn't put him in. But otherwise, he'd be in for sure. And I think fairly comfortable with the rest of them. What's it like for, for you two guys to sit back and reflect on this much history, knowing how big of a part of your lives the 36ers have been? Is it is it good fun to do something like this? Oh, we do it every time we drink and have a glass of red wine. I think it does. I, I think that, you know, the thing for basketball, what it's brought to me, and we're very fortunate to have a lot of success along the way, but you know, all, all my closest friends are because of basketball. And, and I look at someone like Brett, who's, who's seven years younger than me, and in, in a normal world, we, we don't meet and become great mates. So uh, basketball has brought me a lot of friendship, a lot of incredible, uh, happy memories. And, uh, yeah, it is always good, especially the older you get, mate, and, uh, you know, a little bit uh, wider around the edges. It's uh, it's good to be able to look back and, uh, you know, talk about all the good times, and um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot more difficult, though, as well, than I think you first sit down, you go, oh, this will be easy, but... When you start throwing the names around, yeah. then as we've found, it's very difficult to put some people in front of others and sacrifice different positions. But, yeah, it, it's a fun process. But as long as no one takes it too seriously, then I think it's, it's all good.
I mean, if you if you have a look at it, we could make a team made up of let's say Mark Bradkey, Adam Bellinger, Mitch Creek, um, let's say Scott Ninnis and Jerome Randall, all guys that haven't made any of our first two teams, and and that team would be pretty competitive against the first two that we've come up with. Oh mate, I'm looking at my third third team now: Jerome Randall, Willie Farley, Mike McKay, Adam Bellinger, Mark Bradkey. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's, that's a serious team, and I guess that. That's one of the, I guess, one of the good things is we've had so many great players here in this in this club, and then uh, you know to be able to have these sort of debates and we we keep bringing up these names uh, brings back a lot of uh, very very fond memories and a lot of uh, very close friends. Both of you have spent over the last ten years at different times time, I guess, estranged from the club for different reasons. But you're both back pretty heavily involved right now, and I think if you have a look at Grant Kelly and Ben Kavanagh, they've made a big effort to include former players like you, like yourselves in the decisions the club's making. Are you are you feeling pretty buoyant about where the club's heading at the moment? Do you, do you feel like, despite the way last season ended, that things are in a pretty good place? I think, uh, yeah, they're turning it around pretty well. Uh, As far as engaging with the past players, Scotty and I have been, I guess, part of a past players committee that consults with the club, and we've been part of that for a while now. And I think it's a really important part for any club to um, keep that history going and engage with those players. And especially in Adelaide, we have a fan base that dates right back to the Apollo days, and those people like to see those familiar faces around. So it's very important, I think, that they've embraced that and they're trying to do things like they did around the, the top foyer area, the entertainment centre, plus holding functions, inviting players to it. I think it's really important. And, yeah, I think they've done a pretty good job with that and, and to continue that on and have Scott and I involved with the club potentially in other areas, I think, um, could bode well for the future and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's a great thing, and a club with such a rich history, you just can't move forward without getting you guys involved. And I think it's something that hasn't always been done well, but I think it's been done a lot better right now. But yeah, for now, this show is all about our our old Adelaide Thirty Sixes teams, and I'm looking forward to seeing what sort of feedback we get. And we'll be back again next week, Scott, and we'll have a special guest, I'm sure, and we'll have have some reflection on some of the feedback we've got, and it'll be interesting what people have, have made of what we've come up with. Oh, looking forward to it, and, and that's it's it's so subjective. That's what makes these uh, these discussions uh, good fun. And there'll be, certainly there'll be some people that agree with us, and there'll be some people that don't. <laughs> that's uh, and that's all good. I, I guess once again, I'll be pretty happy with any of these players mm. that we've been mentioning in uh, in, in NET. But uh, you're right; it's a rich history and uh, some just some phenomenal players. It's been, it's been fascinating for me to, to take this trip down memory lane with both of you. So, Scott Ninnis and Brad Maher, thanks for joining me on Sixes Fixed with Scott Ninnis. And, and now let's just put it out to the public and, and see what they think. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having us. 